0: Welcome to the Great Communicators Podcast, presented by the MIT Office of Graduate Education, a professional development podcast expressly designed to bring lessons from the field to our graduate student researchers. My name is Adam Greenfield. Now imagine you're on stage in front of an audience, giving a talk, but it's dark, so you can only see maybe the first few rows. Then, maybe 10 minutes in, off in the dark, a blue light of a phone pops up the audience member's face becomes visible. They're looking down at their phone, not at you. Then, a cough. And a few more, maybe a yawn. The next thing you know, you can hear people shifting around in their seats. You're losing the audience. Even if people are just trying to get comfortable, or didn't get a good night's sleep the night before, you can feel them fading away. In this episode, we're going to talk about things you can do to reclaim the audience's attention. Things that if implemented well, could have a pretty hefty impact with your audience. To help us out with this. I'm Ian Condry. I'm a cultural
1: anthropologist in the Department of Global Studies and Languages. And I study Japanese popular culture, things like hip hop and anime.
0: When I was on the MIT campus, I really enjoyed talking with all the professors who were able to make time for us. I have to admit, though, I do have some favorites, and Professor Condry is one of them. Along with being a cultural anthropologist, Professor Condry has a piece of background that needs to be recognized because of its direct role in communicating frequently with audiences. He spent a lot of time in journalism prior to his cultural anthropologist position at MIT. And Really, when it comes down to it, journalism can sometimes be a way of understanding people in society. So we asked Professor Condry how the two connect for him.
1: Well, I do ethnography, which is telling the story of people's perspective as a way of understanding the world. And so in many ways, ethnography and journalism overlap a lot. You know, We go out, we talk to people, we try to spend time in their worlds and give their perspective a fair airing. And so I think there's a lot of overlap between what anthropologists do, what documentary filmmakers do, what uh, journalists do. Um, the, I think what makes anthropology a little special is uh, a commitment to jumping across cultures, right? Being, making sure you get into a space you really don't know, learning the language, uh, uh, being among the people for a longer period of time before we make judgments. You know, it is. I think it's long-form journalism, uh, and and it's a different range of theory that we are responding to as well. Uh, so I think, uh, I think there's a lot of overlap between all kinds of nonfiction writing.
0: In recent years, it only takes a quick glance at the news headlines to see a pretty hefty amount of sensationalism, as if that's the only way to get the reading audience to pay attention anymore. So it seemed only logical to ask Professor Condry someone who has both a background in journalism and a current teaching career in academia, if shock value would be a useful tool, or if there's even really a need to do that with the type of audience most scientists are talking to.
1: I think when you're trying to present your academic work, you should always think about the audience and and how to engage them, how to surprise them, how to draw them in. It's absolutely essential, no matter what kind of academic or scholarly work you're into. I think the beauty of giving talks and why people should give a lot of talks is that you can see very quickly when it's not working, uh, that you have a very palpable sense of when you're losing the audience and when they're drifting off and when they're not paying attention. And it's hugely humiliating and that's a great motivator.
0: Of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask Professor Condry if he had any tricks he's used over the years that had some success.
1: I would encourage my junior colleagues to try this when they need to. The talk is flagging. People aren't listening very well. You're losing them. Take a second to go, you know what's really interesting? And then you get about five to 30 seconds just out of saying that, uh, and you'll draw them in. It's totally a cheap trick. And even if you don't really know what you're going to say next, I'll throw that in there once in a while. I'll be like, you know what's really interesting? And you get there. Then they all pop up and you get about 30 seconds in there to try to drag them in. And then you try to hit them with something that will surprise them and blow their minds.
0: And hearing this, it got me thinking about how these mechanisms work with international audiences. Even listening back to the interview, my interests are piqued. So just for fun, I went to the MIT website and looked up what the cultural mix was like, and it's pretty impressive. According to the site, MIT students are from all 50 states and 120 different countries. There are 72 ethnic and cultural associations, as well as 23 different religious organizations. That's a pretty big tree of cultures and people. Okay, so why do I bring this up? I bring this up because those tricks we were talking about earlier, the ones used to grab the attention of the audience? I wondered if by using them with an international audience, you hit a cultural barrier and risk losing them and not communicating all that well. Professor Condry also had some experience with this.
1: It's interesting. When I give talks internationally, though, that's what's hard. Like, I have to cut the jokes, and I have to cut the little word play and because it's just it's too cute and people don't get it. And, um, and I'm not good enough to joke very well in Japanese. I can do a couple of them. But I, the ones I can do in English, they don't work as well in Japanese. Um, so, yeah, yeah, th- there's a risk. But like I said, see, my, my thing is that the greater risk is not pulling them in at all. Uh, and so, yeah, you use that when you need to. Uh, but it is a trick.
0: All right, so you're giving a talk and just completely bombing. People are not paying attention. Do you adjust there on the spot, or keep going and push through for the few that are paying attention? There may not be an answer for this, or at least not a one-size-fits-all answer, but Professor Condry uses the memory of a concert of two folk singers whose careers span the 1960s to the present as his approach to this topic.
1: You know, Pete Seeger was one of the guys that could do that. I mean, I've never seen anybody get an audience singing like Pete Seeger can. And he was him and Arlo Guthrie at a concert. And Arlo comes out there, He's like, How does he do that? And he says, I get half of you singing for my songs, but he gets all of you singing for his songs. And, you know, and part of it is, it's maybe this it humility is a, is a good word for it. Uh, but it's, it's taking your audience seriously. Uh, and, and, and you can't, You know, you can't take, it's a little, it's a a tough one because you can't let the person doing Facebook and the person sleeping in the class bother you too much. If you've got two or three people listening, you should be working towards those two, three people and then hope to get the rest of them in there. Um, But, and there's just some simple tricks that people should know better. I mean, don't read your PowerPoint slide. Enough with the bullet points. Use images, uh, but don't use You know, be very careful with the words you use. Don't ever read off a slide. Um, And even I don't live by this very well, but I try to get better. And yeah, and I think, you know, being more creative about how you present something is, is very important. And unfortunately, there's so many bad examples in academia of very successful people giving terrible talks that... It's, it's people imbibe that and it looks important or it makes you feel important if you're giving a kind of boring talk and I disagree with that
0: approach Look, I don't want to worry or upset you, but there will be times when you're giving a talk and you'll realize the audience just isn't with you and it happens to the best of us Fortunately though, if you've been listening along you now have tactics you can use to get the audience back in your corner. Everything from quick attention grabbers like, You know what's really interesting? to humor and images. However, there are caveats. First, you only have a short amount of time to reel the audience back in before you could lose them again. So get them while you can because that trick will lose its impact if used a lot. Also, be careful where, when, and how you're using humor. It's fine to be creative, but some audiences, depending on the background, may not get certain nuances. What you think is funny could fly right over your audience's heads. Thanks for listening to The Great Communicators podcast, brought to you by the MIT Office of Graduate Education. My name is Adam Greenfield, and feel free to talk amongst yourselves. This podcast was written and produced by Adam Greenfield. The executive producer of this podcast is Patrick Yurick. The, communic-
1: the Great Communicators Podcast, Grad Comics Live, Grad Comics the Game, and the Technically Speaking comic book series are part of a professional development initiative called GradX. Grad GradX Grad X is made possible by the Office of Graduate Education at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology.
0: To find out more, find out me. more about Gradex, as well as get access to other episodes of The Great Communicator's podcast. Go to gradex.mit.edu. For more information, and for more
1: information music, and links on the music used in this episode, please see the show notes.